0: Welcome, everybody from around the world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Commentaries from the Edge. This is Karen Goldberg, and here's what's coming up. I'm honored and delighted once again to welcome Dr. Fernando Guerra. Dr. Guerra is the founder and director of the Center. For the study of los angeles a a city that you know actually almost since its founding has been a magnet for not only people all over the united states but really people around the world who have come here to visit and to make their home there is something about this city maybe it may be the sunshine the gorgeous topography but there's been a spirit here that has drawn people from almost from its inception so Dr. Guerra, you you have a, a very fascinating city to study, and I just want to mention that Dr. Guerra started the center on the campus of Loyola Marymount University here in Los Angeles in 1996, and it was in response to the uprising, the citywide uprising here, that had to do with the exoneration of police officers in the Rodney King beating and really was a very uh, dramatic and crisis point for the city of Los Angeles in our racial tensions here. So since that time, and at the time actually, Dr. Guerra was professor of political science and Chicano Latino studies at Loyola Marymount and is still there in that capacity for almost 40 years now. Dr. Guerra sees the center as a place to understand the people of Los Angeles and to make the city more equitable and by engaging its residents and its leaders. So thank you so much, Fernando, for being with us and taking the time in your busy schedule to to talk today.
1: Oh no, thanks Karen for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: And, you know, we want to kind of recap where we left off when we last talked. It was, uh, I believe it was, you know, last, fall, early fall. And, you know, it was interesting because I think many listeners may have been surprised at the very end of that conversation because you emphasized how much that this is a city of optimists, that there is a feeling of optimism here presently and for the future. And and you were talking a lot about how the center really has been able to use its data to uh, support, our leaders in making policies and and in creating laws, which is, you know, really become a very important part of the operation of the city.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, what I feel the center's main role is in educating Angelinos about Angelinos, uh, educating non-Angelinos, especially New Yorkers, about Angelinos, but then also. <laughs> Uh, educating our own leadership in preparing them to make decisions. Uh, The more data and information a decision maker can have, the better. Not that our data is going to be the only thing, and sometimes not even the major uh, bit of information that they take into consideration, but that it plays a role. And so we try to better position leaders, not only in government, in nonprofits, corporations, um, and at, at every aspect to make more informed decisions.
0: So which which in fact, you know, I would say with the advance of technology, the data, the idea of using data, I mean, I think that became something that people suddenly felt that, oh, here is the data that really is beyond what my opinion might be, my prejudices might be, right? my political point of view, but here's the hard data, which yeah. um, I think has been a great contribution, what you're talking about. Right. I mean, as you said, not the only one, but certainly can be, um, you know, to help in, in a deciding in factor of which direction people decide to go. But, you know, I have to ask you, since you mentioned it, why did you mention to help New Yorkers?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not unusual for Um, These type of stories where the New York times, which is, you know, really become our national newspaper. And they do have a bureau here in California and in Los Angeles and the individual or individuals sometimes who rotate through that office, they always, uh, when they first get here, end up writing a story about uh, Los Angeles and what, and their, their impressions. And it's always interesting that they're really looking at it from a new yorker perspective using their lens using their biases to judge and to assess angelinos and of course never do not, never does the city or its politics or its business or its real estate or its nonprofits or whatever hold up and are as quote unquote good as what's going on in new york and my response is always, well, you're looking at it. You're looking at it as though it was supposed to be working in New York, and it's a different, completely different. Why I said uh, it's not only about uh, explaining uh, Angelinos to others, but specifically to the 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 New York, and I'm I'm using New York almost um, a, a straw person as a New Yorker who wants to stereotype. Uh, yeah. Angelenos uh, Angelinos has <laughs> a certain way.
0: Yeah, right. You're making, it's 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 almost like a football competition you're talking Correct. about. Correct. But but at this point, you know, right. The, the idea of, of um explaining Los Angeles maybe to the nation, because of course the the New York Times has a national readership and right. interestingly, you know, I understand huge uh, percentage of subscribers to that newspaper live in Los Angeles yes. and are Angelinos. Yep so um so there's yeah and and i think you know just to be prejudiced on myself uh sitting here in los angeles and a native of the city they i think they're becoming jealous of us because of the way in which uh we're more and more a more exciting and global center really in in some way so the center has a lot to study and one of the things we wanted to look back on today is what happened in 2022 with you know i don't know if we can overestimate the amount of political changes that came out of the the midterm elections do you think do you think that the political changes are profound
1: oh i do think so i mean i think this election saw the um the the new voters catch up in terms of the elected officials. Um, As uh, certain voters uh, emerge, it takes a while for them to have a impact in terms of the numbers. And, And you saw that impact come full force this past election. And it's not in the election of Karen Bass, although that was part of it, but in the election of numerous other individuals who are very, very progressive. Um, And so I began to start thinking about Los Angeles. It is a one party town in the conventional sense that it's heavily, heavily Democratic. I believe that um, uh, registered Republicans in the city are under 15 percent, actually probably even closer to 10 percent than 15 percent. And so they are really not a force in city politics. Uh, And and so for a long time, it was the Democrats and what I would consider liberal Democrats dominating. And what you see now emerging is a counterforce, not from the right, but from the left, where it's much more progressive individuals who are pushing the liberal Democrats about their ideas. And it's not unique to L.A. I mean, I think in New York, you do see someone like an AOC, uh, and then in Seattle uh, you see, uh, you know, um, uh, different members of Congress and others who ha- have been elected from a very progressive perspective. Um, but it, it really came to the fore here in 22 with the election of two young Latinos who were not only not liberal, but not really part of the uh, lat- any Latino political machine or any Latino political uh, uh, group. And then you also saw it with the election of a citywide controller of a young person who, again, very progressive. That That's going to mark the beginning of this new progressive movement, which in one or two election cycles, I expect to be the majority. And by the way, almost all, all, all three of these individuals that I'm talking about that got elected in 22 are also renters, not homeowners. So it's not only that they're progressive. Their demographics are different, especially when you take a look at um, uh, at, at home ownership.
0: So it's really, um, I don't know, when I think about th- this distinction that you're making between liberal Democrats and progressive Democrats, I, I would almost say it's it's profound in the sense that the values are very different. And, and in a way, the way you described it at one point, you were saying, you know, the old guard versus the New Guard, and I think particularly, doesn't it seem to be a reflection of the Latino community? Because we are a city of more than 50% Latino now, I believe. Um, Yeah,
1: I I think, I mean, yeah, I I think that's part of it, but you know, there's still some, you know, I would still, even within the Latino community, say that there's still a, uh, a majority that would consider themselves liberals, not progressives. But where these progressives got elected, I think the, the those neighborhoods are becoming more progressive, more questioning the liberal policies that have led to, you know, um, uh, high homeowner, home ownership costs, therefore low home ownership rates and high renter rates, and, and that there's just a, a, a sense. It's not that the progressives reject the some of the ideas of liberals, it's that they... Um, take on the the role that, that, that the solutions are based more on the incorporation of neighborhoods and previously excluded groups, whereas liberals are still kind of, in a sense, protecting the state. And what I mean by the state is not the state of California, but but government liberals still believe in the positive role of government. Progressives say almost and it almost sounds full circle that, you know, Government is oftentimes not the solution, but the problem. And it's not the problem that they're trying to intervene, but how they're trying to intervene. It's not the problem that they're spending money, but how they're spending the money. And so progressives are pushing the state to not be so uh, status quo and really um, uh, uh, reevaluate how it does business. Um, and, And whereas from a conservative perspective and, you know ronald reagan was famous and i think in his first inauguration speech in 1980 had the phrase you know uh government isn't the solution it's the problem right <laughs> right yeah that's kind I, of ironic.
0: Say, mm-hmm.
1: yeah progressives i think say kind of the same thing but then the solution to that is we got to give government back to more grassroots individuals and we got to even spend more money whereas Ronald Reagan was like, "No, let's cut taxes. let's let let let's, you know, uh, really um, uh, uh, put a stranglehold on government."
0: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Ronald Reagan because some people point to that period as the beginning of the the gap between the rich and the poor, the beginning of the way in which our our society and our economy, um, was not supporting the middle class but was supporting the wealthy at the expense of most everyone else. And I, I almost think that this, this um, progressive uh, phenomenon that's come really in a sense to our, our Los Angeles and to our electric is maybe a reflection of the frustrations that have been going on for decades right now of people who are struggling so much to make a living especially because Los Angeles is one of the most expensive places and California in general. And, and also that, you know, we're, we have this crisis of homelessness and it may be that the progressive solution is to really look at how can we make more humane policies?
1: Right. I mean, I, I think it's also, the progressive solution is also much more direct uh, Government assistance. Uh, not not that that's going to spend more money, but you know the the liberal perspective as a response in the old battles against the conservatives were like we can't give money directly to people. We have to channel it through uh, institutions such as businesses or what have you. Uh, and so yeah, I mean even even COVID, the 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 COVID relief was through. Giving it to companies to keep people employed instead of just giving it to people directly, there's always a sense uh, of having to justify uh, the the ability to help people. It has to be through some government entity, some private sector entities, some nonprofit. We're we're so uh, um, unwilling to give people the money directly, and, and progressives are like, you're just wasting more money that way. And mm-hmm. but uh, liberals and conservatives are no, you just can't give money directly to people. How do we know that they're going to use it correctly? How do we know that they're going to use it for housing if it doesn't go to the home to the uh, uh, landlord first, etc.? How do we know they're going to use it at, in terms of employment if it doesn't go to the you know the the employer first? That's I think some part of the big battle,
0: yes. And in this and at this point, the battle is being won more by the side of what you're talking about, about this concept of, you know, even, I think uh, Eric Garcetti before he left started a program where certain families at a particular economic level could apply to be part of receiving a certain amount of uh, direct monies every month. I can't remember what the name of the program yeah, is and, called.
1: Yeah, and that that's not only happening here in LA, you know, the, the uh, famous young, uh, um, uh, a black mayor of Stockton, uh, you know, utilized it, um, you know, uh, the, um, uh, there, there are several people who've talked about, about this and, and but uh, as you can see, it's being done in experiments here and there. No one has really tried to scale it or do it at a large, uh, and so that, that's the typical liberal idea is like, no, we got to prove the concept first. We have to uh, bring people along. Whereas progressives are more like, "Hey, we're tired about that. Let's just do it," you know. Yes, universal yes. income, yeah. it, you know, make makes sense. Let's just do it.
0: Yes. Well, you know, uh, and and this and this gets back to I think again, sitting here, you know, as we are in Los Angeles and having, we have, you know, unfortunately have the title of capital of homelessness right now. Right. Um, is that people are i think that the other thing that happened with the electorate is people saw well all these other solutions that have been tried now including money which hasn't seemed to solve the problem because we passed millions and millions of dollars for for a, for a home for housing right and yet we still have the growing homelessness i think people decided they were ready to try something which many people might have thought is radical by electing people who thought we have different creative ideas of how to solve these problems
1: yes and and i think yeah i I think you're absolutely right it's a a a frustration sometimes that frustration manifests itself in voting for very conservative right-wing but it is right here in los angeles It's manifesting itself in uh, voting for very progressive candidates
0: right exactly so when when the election ended and you know, we haven't even talked about perhaps the the impact that the recordings had some right before that election. Yeah. And and that it's interesting, because that was uh, a recording made of the several people on that recording were Latinos from basically from the traditional structure, right, the political right. structure. Um, right. And like, like, you know, I always admired Gil Cedillo's uh, the re- re- really distinguished career that he had, it was unfortunate uh, that he ended, you know, with that, that sad uh, yeah. result of that recording, um, but as just as one example, but it may have had an impact on it, but I'm wondering uh, what, when you did data surveys after the election, what, what sort of questions were you asking and what kind of things did you find?
1: So, I mean, one of the things that we really focused on, because it it was not only significant, we talked about the election of these three progressives very significant, but there was another thing on the ballot that was very significant, and that was Measure ULA. And Measure ULA, and I still have to kind of fact check this, but I'm pretty sure it's the case, it's the largest municipal tax increase in the history of America. Um, we in Los Angeles voted on a tax increase of a billion dollars a year and it would tax it's it's basically called the property transfer tax so that every single time that a property is sold, there is a tax on it. And currently the tax is less than half of 1% of the value of the property. This measure uh, uh, increased the tax uh, significantly, but only for property of $5 million or more. And it's estimated that the, if the same number of homes and properties sold above $5 million as they have in the past five years or so, that $1 billion would be raised, and it would be directly to go and fight homelessness. And so it's a very significant thing. But immediately, of course, uh, people have sued and it's not being implemented at at the as as we speak here in February and probably won't even get settled for uh, another year or so. Um, And so but but that I mean, that that's creating the type of resources that you would need to fight uh, homelessness. uh, That is, as you mentioned. Uh, the we're the number one uh, city facing in america and now we ourselves said we want to back this and we voted 60 percent for it in a survey that i did saying hey you know uh this is what this ula really does were you aware of it a, a good percent were aware of what it did and then i said well let me and then we proposed the question that if it didn't meet everything that i was going to try to do would you support uh, it again? And still 60% said we would support this, right? Um, and still another good percentage said that they were willing to uh, increase taxes even more to fight homelessness. And so there is this sense in Los Angeles that the resources have to be provided to fight homelessness. And then in addition, we asked, okay, what about you yourselves? Would you be willing to have Um, uh, um, uh, supportive services uh, 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 housing built within one mile of your uh, residence? And it was overwhelming, yes. And then we even said, hey, would you be willing to build an auxiliary dwelling unit in your backyard? And it was overwhelmingly yes. And then even, would you be willing to rent a room to start fighting homelessness? And 40% of Angelenos said yes. Now, this is obviously doesn't mean that sixty percent are against the idea, but sixty percent may not have the capacity because they don't have an adi- additional room, right? And right. so you could see that even at the individual level, Angelinos were willing to do their part to battle uh, the the homelessness in Los Angeles.
0: You know that's that's very in on a certain level, it's very touching uh, because. Um, if you're walking around a city and you see so much, you, you're beginning to see a mass of suffering. We're yep. talking about a mass of suffering, and you're seeing not just not just uh, typically the stereotype idea of who is homeless. You see elderly people, you see elderly women, you see you see women, men, and children. You see disabled people. You see every kind of person that finds them, you know, that's living in a tent. And you, you know, you see it by the schools and you see it by the freeways and you see it by your supermarket. And so it, it you know, there's just, it's it's very touching that finally, I think Angelinos have come together to say, we have to help our fellow residents here. We have to do it. And maybe everybody knows somebody, who's one month short of becoming homeless themselves.
1: Oh no, absolutely, yeah.
0: Lose... Apartment in Los Angeles could conceivably be $2,500 a month.
1: Yep, yep, you so know, and-
0: That's a very positive result. I, I consider that, uh, that, that seems like a very positive, humane response to a problem that seems to have had no solution,
1: right? And, and part of it, of course, is is the causes of homelessness. Is you know, um, uh, you know, varied. And I think there's four major pockets of it. One is just a high cost of housing in Los Angeles. Number one. Number two, you know, mental health uh, and our, our inability to uh, deal and service individuals who are um, suffering from issues and sometimes severe issues of mental health, um, you know, drug yeah. addiction, again, our inability to have a infrastructure, a safety net for that, that we haven't invested in that. And then, you know, economics, as you mentioned, losing your job, not making enough money, et cetera. And, and again, other, other a- aspects of, of that. And many of those trends, you know, the city, you know, Los Angeles is, is a, subject of that. They, 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 they are not, um, the, the city doesn't control that. Those are regional trends, national trends, even international trends. Um, and um, and then even in a specific way, the the city, um, when it comes to mental health services, it's the county that provides that. Drug addiction is mostly the county that produ- provides yeah. that. Um, yes. cost, cost of housing is out of the control of the city of LA, although they can pass and have passed rent control measures um so all of those things so what can what can the city do the one thing the city can do and has the legal ability to do is to build housing and that's what it should focus on and so it should leave the just it should as as much as possible build housing affordable housing and, and and just uh uh all the all kinds of different types of housing
0: and it's you know it's bound to change that housing and the the density that it also will bring will will, you know change somewhat the the flavor of the city but in in such a positive way for most people that they want like you mentioned those statistics are pretty incredible like 60 percent you know, or even the forty percent that would rent a room that they yeah. have to someone who's homeless, and I hope we hope that the billion dollars would go toward also the housing of people who are suffering from the mental illness, suffering from the addiction, so that you know the housing- But see, here's
1: a, that that's a great point, Karen. But but that can't that money can't okay, and in in a sense that because it's it, we created such silos in government the city cannot spend money on mental health that's the county mm-hmm. okay all, right. the county by uh, regulation and tradition is partner for, for the city of la and for all most of the cities in 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 los angeles and so all that money has to go through that so the county the city cannot raise money and then give it to the county
0: i see yes and right. So,
1: and so that's yeah. and uh, all, all these different um, bureaucratic uh, uh, lines and all that that get in the way because it's common sense what you just said. But it's like, no, legally, we can't do that. Well, who created the laws? You guys did. Yeah, and it's just. Yeah,
0: right. So, well, then, you know, maybe this is the step. It's a step somewhere mm-hmm. forward and maybe somehow it will, give, it will be contagious to the idea that we absolutely have to pour so much more money, especially into mental health. And you yeah. know that from, and that's another thing that if you did a survey specifically on that, I would imagine, because especially what happened with the, with the consequences of the COVID pandemic is that it made these problems of mental health, these problems of addiction and housing, that we're already here in Los Angeles and not only in this city, but many other cities, it made it even worse when COVID came Absolutely. to visit us. So, you know, I know your time is running out, Fernando. And um, I think, you know, we, we often say how Los Angeles and California goes is how our country goes. So we're hoping that these positive results that your this survey is showing uh, will be something that will spread to, to other communities. And is there any last comment or observation you want to make about our great city?
1: Well, yeah, I think because of the it's the stature of Los Angeles, not only because it's the second largest city in America, the largest in California, but because of the allure that it has and the positive name that it has, that that it could be a showcase for so many different things. And you know, we always tend to focus on what is wrong with cities, but there are a lot of policy successes in Los Angeles. Uh, number one, you know, we're still struggling with this, but how we clean the air in Los Angeles uh, is is a significant policy success. Um, our, our our solid waste, uh, we 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 you know dump a very small percentage of our. Of our waste in dumps compared to 30 years ago. Our water usage. Our population has increased tremendously, but yet we use less water today in Los Angeles than we did, you know, 30, 40 years ago, with a much. So there are all kinds of. If a government along with the people get their uh, get get unified, we can make great changes. And we need leadership. We need civic engagement. And we need ideas. And that's, I think, what uh, uh, we try to do here at uh, LMU is provide ideas to our students, provide civic education and and civic opportunities uh, to our students who hopefully in the future will be leaders and try to make LA a model for what is right, not a model for homelessness or for the other social ills that exist.
0: Thank you so much uh, for all the work that you do for this amazing uh, center that's becoming more and more important and for the promise of teaching young people, as you said, for our future leaders, we, we need them to be as informed and as aware uh, of what they can do to make a contribution so thank you for being here today thank you for everything you're doing and uh, I'll look forward to following the results of your center as as the time goes on.
1: Thanks for having me on I appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much again. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Commentaries from the Edge. Please subscribe and you'll be notified of all future episodes.